Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about PWAs, progressive web apps. So it should be pretty cool. Before we get started, I want to plug our friends over at ng-conf. Uh, for all of you that might not know, there's this conference called ng-conf. Uh, it's every year. This year, it's on April 18th through 20th in Salt Lake City, Utah. Tickets are on sale, so you should definitely get them if you haven't already. It's the world's original Angular conference. Uh, it's got these single-day tracks along with the middle day of workshop type of um, multi-track things. Tons of great content. This year, they're going to be focusing more on some advanced topics, so we should get more advanced Angular content. That'll be great. And then the community aspect of it, uh, everybody's there. I think pretty much everybody on the show will, will be there at that at that conference. Uh, we all interact, have a good time, uh, help people out. Uh, it's great. So go check it out. You can get tickets at ng-conf.org. Uh, they're still available. So go get your teams to go. Have fun. We'll see you there. And it's the most right. fun conference in the world. It, it is pretty fun. It is pretty fun. In the whole world. In the whole world. All right. So let's uh, meet our panelists and we'll meet our guests. Uh, joining us today, we got Alyssa with us. Alyssa, Hi, everybody. Uh, like you brought somebody with you. Who's that? This is Gummy. She has no teeth and she was bothering me to be on the show. So I said, all right, but hi. <laughs> Woo, two panelists for the price of one. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, we got Austin with us. Austin, what's going on? How's it going, everybody? I'm so happy the weather's starting to warm back up again. It was like so Arctic here. The mic is like, it's still Arctic, but. Austin, what happened to your panda head? Yeah. It's sitting right over there. I didn't feel like wearing it. <laughs> I almost didn't so... recognize you. <laughs> totally. All right, Bonnie. What did, how's it going, Bonnie? It's great. It's great. I'm on location. I almost missed today, but I, I didn't want to miss Steven, so to make sure. So I had to grab a little conference room and, and uh, hide. Nice. Nice. Panelists find a way. I like it. All right, Mike. What's going on, Mike? Uh, not so much. Uh, Austin is right. It is still freezing here. Although technically it is above freezing. We've got some thaw going on. Yeah. Pittsburgh right. is above freezing. All right. All right. Well, you know, it's it's like 65 where I'm at in the plus side. It's going to be 60 on Thursday. Nobody likes you, Justin. I know. I know. Okay. Everybody hates me. I guess go eat some worms or something. <laughs> All right. Our guest today is Stephen Fluent. Stephen, how's it going? It's going wonderful. I just got back from a nice holiday break in Minnesota where the high was uh, negative four Celsius. Or no, excuse me, negative four Fahrenheit. So you can't really talk to me about cold. I, I, was, I was born of the cold. Uh, yeah, so my name is Stephen Fluin. I'm a developer advocate on the Angular team here at Google. And that was by far the best Bane I've ever heard. Just saying. <laughs> You were just on a little bit ago. It's like we're you know you're hanging out with us a lot. I like it. I I try to be here whenever possible. Awesome. We like it. Whenever I you guys let me, like basically. All right. You're always welcome. So what are we gonna be talking about today? PWAs, right? Yes. The the rise of this kind of new type of web application and this kind of general shift that's happening uh, across the the web that I think we're very excited about and. I think users 
despite not knowing what a PWA is or needing to care, uh, I think they're going to be really happy with the, the types of experiences that the people are starting to build as well. Now, a question that yeah, I was wondering, did Google start it before we define it? Is Google the starter of the PWA? Do we know? Uh, so it depends how you define PWA. Uh, okay. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll say we at least had a part in starting it. But in general, Google tries not to do anything alone. Um, when it comes to the web, I, I think we want uh, a really healthy platform with lots of different clients, lots of, of standards uh, involved. I, I think we may have coined the term PWA, but even that is not a, a solidly defined term. What it means means something different to different people. And maybe we just kind of dive in there and talk about what a, a PWA is. So uh, a PWA or progressive web application um, is kind of a new type of, of application where instead of shipping a bunch of pages to users where you have a URL, you have a, a single page, you have uh, an experience that's kind of unique to that page, um, we're moving more towards a, an application model where I can have uh, a lot of different pages which all belong to the same application. They have the, the same marketing messages, they have the same kind of uh, starting point, they have some shared preferences across those things. Um, people have been doing this for a long time with single page applications, but now we were starting to get browser APIs that take advantage of this concept. And so there's there's kind of two main things that exist. So uh, I talk about the uh, add to home screen experience, which is enabled by something called the app manifest. So there's basically a file that you can put into your application that says, here's the name of my app, here's the background color, here's the theme color, here's my splash image, here's my icon, um, here's the type of experience I want to deliver. Um, it is a fancy favicon in some ways. Um, and what that does is it signals to the browser that the page a user is visiting belongs to this application. Um, and then the, the second piece that's really exciting is a new set of APIs uh, all centered around this thing called a service worker, where now we can, for the first time uh, kind of ever, we can run code on the user's device when they're not even interacting with the application. Um, and we can run code when they're offline. Uh, and this, this opens up a, a whole world of possibilities. Uh, the, the last piece, which is not kind of a new API, but just this idea that um, we should be building better applications uh, as web developers. We should be focusing on performance and experience and uh, understanding how much uh, data we're pushing over the wire. And so that, I would, I would say, is kind of the, the third leg of the, the tri-legged stool that uh, is a PWA. So really quick on the, the home screen thing that you talk about, right? Let's talk really quick on that. So when you talk about add to home screen, are we talking specific devices or like what constitutes that experience? Sure, sure. So this is an experience that I think first shipped on Chrome. Uh, it may be uh, in other browsers, coming to other browsers. Uh, I'm not entirely familiar, but uh, at least on Android with Chrome, um, as well as with Chrome OS now, uh, when you hit a website that has uh, an app manifest registered, you get this very nice, hey, would you like to add this to your home screen? And that that's, doesn't pop up the first time a user visits. Uh, it's based on some heuristics, like uh, does the browser think that the user cares about this and they, they want to develop a deeper relationship with his website? So uh, if I am attending a conference and that conference's website is a PWA, maybe the second time I visit that conference website to take a peek at the schedule, it's like, hey, do you want to add this conference calendar to your home screen? Um, now, as a developer, do I have this... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Can I tie into that? Or is that just the browser saying, hey, I got this. I'll let you know if you've re reached that criteria. Do I get to say as a developer, hey, twice, that's a threshold? Or do I have no, to say? No, it, it's entirely in the browser because uh, 
the Chrome team is really trying to balance the, the kind of various needs where we want these web applications to be non-spammy. Uh, we don't want every application that you visit popping up and saying, hey, add me to your home screen, add me to your home screen, like uh, some already do. Um, but then so it's all based on, do we think this user wants this? And so you're talking mobile, right? Um, it, what about like on a desktop? So a browser on Mac or or a PC, like is that not there? Is what sure, sure. So, so there's no add to home screen on uh, desktops or laptops, with the exception of uh, Chrome OS. On Chrome OS, you'll see. Uh, do you want to add this to your shelf? The the little tab bar at the bottom that they've got. And so is that? But even, a, though, you can't, but even though you can't add it to your home screen, you can still take advantage of like the caching mechanisms and things like that that it has as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to the the web app manifest and app install, um, that's something that's still kind of taking root. Um, and all the browsers figuring out how should we implement this? What's the the best interaction to to give users this kind of relationship with a website um, or a web application? But on the other side of things, the the service worker world that that's landing in kind of uh, all the browsers that we we've seen so far. And I'll say landing because it's it's definitely not there yet. Um, so this is uh, it's got a web spec. It's got a standard that it's based on, um, but it uh, exists in Opera, Firefox, and Chrome today. Uh, Microsoft has publicly talked about uh, adding support for all these sorts of APIs, uh, even to the extent where um, they've talked about this idea that if you build a PWA, they could add it to the the Windows App Store, so that uh, you build a, a great web application. And then it shows up in the Windows Store so that it makes it easier for developers to take advantage of. What about Netscape Navigator? I'm not I'm not familiar with the roadmap of Netscape Navigator. Navigator, do you want to do you want to enlighten us? <laughs> so, what exactly um, is a service worker? Right, like we know, add things to the home screen. You know, we briefly touched on like what service workers are. Can we? you know the audience a little more about that? Sure, sure. So uh, a service worker is a special type of web worker. So it's a, a secondary thread uh, that exists as part of the execution of a web page. So um, the service worker is installed. So the first time you visit a, a PWA, what's going to happen is uh, the web page you, you visit is going to use JavaScript and say, hey, please register this service worker. And then your browser will download the service worker files, this little tiny application, uh, and actually store it within your browser. And then from there, you can do a couple things. So first, that service worker has permission to proxy all of the HTTP requests that your application makes, or all the all the uh, requests made from that kind of con uh, context. Yeah, it's a fancy cache. So instead of going out to the internet to get content, it can go directly to the service worker and say, hey, I've got a version of that file. Let me serve that instead. Uh, and the other thing that it can do is uh, that service worker is able to wake up even when your user is not using the application uh, based on responding to a push notification. So if your application uh, registers itself uh, for push notifications and the server receives a push notification, um, your, your service worker can wake up and do things like show a notification to the user that tries to kind of pull them back into the application or show them some uh, important information that's time sensitive. Can I bring up a point real quick about the push notification? Because sure. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of buzz that I've seen on uh, through Twitter and, and the internet about like, no, thank you. I would never want to enable push notification on your website. Go away. And everybody's you know talking that. And obviously that's a, 
an element to PWAs, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, sure, sure. I, I, I have opinions um, about that. I, I don't know if I have any data, so I, I'd love to hear what everyone else thinks. But uh, I really like that because it's it's one of the core ways that I engage with a bunch of different classes of applications. So I'll, I'll give an example of this. It's been around for, for a long time. So uh, I use Facebook, but I don't use the Facebook installed application. Um, I uninstalled it uh, a long time ago, actually, at this point. Uh, and I just use their, their PWA so that when I'm using my phone, uh, I still get notifications when someone likes one of my posts, when someone shares a photo of me. But I don't have to have that app installed on my device at all. What's the point of that? Like, why would you prefer a PWA over the app? Um, the permissions model is entirely different. So uh, with the installed application, they have a kind of more access to my device. They can access um, uh, all the, the sorts of things I've got going on. It can use background battery uh, to an extent that maybe I don't want. Um, and so by, by switching to the PWA, I have a, basically a more lightweight experience. Um, and now that could change over time. So if I could theoretically see a future where web applications can run heavy background processes um, and kind of deliver 100% parity with apps. But that, that's just me speculating. Uh, I, hopefully never we, we don't see anything like Bitcoin miners. Um, and how we, we've kind of, uh, how it's set up right now in the browser is that there are a lot of limits on what you can do uh, with the explicit intent of protecting users. So I mean, basically, any website you visit can install a service worker, but it's only allowed to be a certain size, and it's only allowed to execute in certain contexts where users have signaled that they want that execution, such as a push notification, where um, the user always knows when they've got a push notification. They can always act on that. They can always remove that permission going forward. So one thing I found cool about service workers was not from, you know, just like a cash perspective, but from like tell it API endpoints to cash. So that's really powerful, right? Like I want my, when you click this icon, I want the site to load instantly. And then I want it to start like filling in. It, it returns the content. So I can actually cache those HTTP requests and the site opens immediately to the exact spot that I was and then it slowly brings in the new content. So that's something that's really cool that I thought was fascinating about service workers beyond just being a fancy cache. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, what I'd say is that there's actually a, a number of really great ways to do caching now in, in 2018 and beyond uh, in kind of the, the web development land. So obviously, you can now, using service workers, you can cache uh, third-party assets. You can both cache them kind of at install time. So as soon as the app loads, let's go fetch all these third-party assets and, and uh, preload them. Uh, but I'm also a big fan of just caching in like the JavaScript layer. Because uh, one example that I, I do a lot is uh, whenever I make an HTTP request, uh, I'll cache that to uh, local storage or something like that. Uh, and then using Angular and using observables, I'll start with that synchronous cache so that the user sees something on the screen right away. But then just using the observable kind of stream mechanism, uh, that HTTP request, as soon as that uh, request returns data, it automatically refreshes the screen. So the second my user loads an application, they're going to see the HTTP cache from local storage. And then without having to change anything in my template, I'm automatically going to see that updated data coming from the, the web server. So you're doing exactly what Ghostbusters told you not to. You're crossing the streams. I'm not crossing the streams. I'm I'm using the start with operator. 
which is a really great operator for kind of initializing or providing an initial set of data that emits synchronously and immediately, uh, and then adding HTTP in later. And then, uh, like I often, another more advanced thing that has nothing to do with service workers, I'll often add like a refresh token that is on a timer. So every five minutes, my application re-triggers the HTTP requests and updates its data, uh, kind of all without updating the template, which is nice. There are like some downsides to this caching, though. Yes. So uh, one of the things that, that developers see when they start building a progressive web app with Service Worker is that it, in some ways, breaks the mental model that we as developers often have. So I'm, as a developer, used to hitting refresh or shift refresh or right-clicking and, and empty caches and hard reload. But with Service Worker, uh, some of the things that it will install can actually survive past that. And so there, there's a couple edge cases where developers can kind of shoot themselves in, in the foot with Service Worker. Um, that are, are somewhat important to acknowledge. So you talk about the, the fancy cache, right? And is there a story for invalidating that cache that maybe is easier than what we other mechanisms we do now to invalidate cache? Sure, sure. So there, there's a, a bunch of different ways you can do it. Like, so because you can build your own service worker, there's, there's an infinite number of ways to do it. But um, there's two projects out there that I highly recommend that kind of take care of a lot of the service worker tasks for you. Um, so uh, one is called Workbox. So it's from the Chrome team. It's a generic library for adding service worker and, and this sort of functionality to any JavaScript-based application. Um, but then also we've shipped now as part of Angular uh, kind of first-party support for service worker. And so we have the Angular service worker uh, where we have our own declarative configuration uh, and we take care of a lot of the, the lifecycle events. And so in that config file, uh, we give you the option to say, hey, here's these types of assets. And for those types of assets, let's cache it in this way and store the cache for this amount of time. And then for these other assets, let's do something different with that. Uh, a really interesting example of that is that for every asset group, you can decide, do I want this to be installed immediately when the service worker is installed? Do I want to install it once the user starts interacting with it? So as soon as that HTTP request has been made the first time, then we'll store the results um, for the future. And then you can decide, hey, if I don't have, uh, or when I'm making requests in the future, do I want to be cache first, so we serve immediately that version of the cache, or do we try and be network first, where we try and fetch the most recent assets, uh, and then if we can't fetch those assets, fall back to the cache version. So were There's you suggesting they use Workbox with Angular Service Worker, or is it no, like it, that it's or a little that? Bit either or. So they, they both are trying to make developers' lives easier. The, the nice thing about the Angular service worker is that it's Angular aware. And so we're able to do a lot of configuration for you based on our knowledge of Angular routing and those, those sorts of things. So uh, for example, the Angular service worker is, for example, we've re-implemented the service worker lifecycle. So there's this big complex chart of from installing to updating to all these sorts of things where a service worker gets installed on your machine and how it gets updated and when it gets applied and when it's active and when it's running and all those sorts of things. Uh, and we've re-implemented some of those so that uh, if you're just using something like Workbox or the kind of generic uh, building your own service worker, every time you hit refresh, you're probably not going to see the latest content because uh, refreshing a tab will not apply a service worker update. But the Angular service worker, we've built it so that when you hit refresh, we're going to say, hey, let's try and use the latest caches that we've got uh, stored. So the first time you you hit a page, we're going to update the caches. And the second time you refresh, we're going to see those caches live. Um, so trying to better match those developer expectations. 
So with the Angular supporting PWA, and when I first heard about PWAs a while back, like I was thinking there's one more thing that I have to learn, right? But when I actually went to do it, there wasn't, a, I mean, you have to configure it, right? But so much of this stuff happens under the hood. Like for someone who's new to PWA, it's not like one more thing you have to learn. You set it up when you start your project and then you just write just like you always did, right? There's not a whole lot, would you say? Yeah, no, and, and I think, what they need I think to this do. is something that is going to be echoed across a, a lot of the Angular that you see in 2018 is where you're just going to write your Angular code and then we're going to make your application better. Um, so uh, I think service workers are a great example of this. So if you create a new project and I'll, let me actually share my screen and we'll, we'll give this a try here live. And yeah. It'll fail. All right. So uh, I've already done this a couple times. So I'm in a, a little demo folder to make sure people can see here. And if I type ng new my SW app and I do dash dash service worker, see if I got that right. What we should see is that now it's going to scaffold a standard Angular application with a couple differences. So I'll just open code here my SW app. Now we'll switch the screen sharing over to Visual Studio Code because that was really all we needed to do in the timeline or in the terminal. All right, so I'm in Visual Studio Code here, so you can see this is just a normal CLI project. Almost everything looks identical, but you're gonna see two new files. Uh, you're gonna see an Angular CLI.json configuration where it says service worker true. So that's just telling the build system, hey, whenever you build, also ship a service worker with our application. And then in your source folder, you're gonna see an ngsw config file. And so this is pre-configured based on the knowledge of kind of how Angular builds, saying, hey, we want to keep your index.html, we want to keep your favicon, and then we need we have these versioned files uh, for all of our bundles, so our lazy loaded chunks, those sorts of things. And then let's lazily, uh, so as soon as we run into them, let's go install all of the, any of the assets that the user has into the cache. And then the last piece to, to kind of point out in the Angular service worker tooling would be in the app module where you have this conditional where we're adding the service worker module based on whether or not uh, we're doing a production build. So there's an important thing to, to note there, and I'll just stop the screen sharing if possible. Uh, so in general, you don't want to be doing service worker uh, installs in dev mode when you're doing kind of just normal local host debugging because of this kind of second refresh, because of the caching is so powerful, where uh, most of the time when you're developing, you don't want the cached version of your site. You want the latest version of your site. So we recommend that people only use Service Worker uh, in kind of production mode. Um, and so I'm often jumping into a terminal, doing a quick production build just to validate uh, that things are, are looking good with the Service Worker before shipping it to the web. That's interesting. Uh, is there kind of a strategy thought out for how to incorporate that into like your build process or your CI to kind of, instead of a manual validation that the service worker is all good as you make code changes, what would be the story to that kind of a high level? Sure, sure. So there's there's a couple things. So in general, once you have your service worker working, you shouldn't need to touch it. So an example of that would be the Angular IO site where uh, we've got a service worker set up on it. So uh, things will cache, things will be much more performant, more engaging. And we don't manually test that with every commit to master because uh, virtually nothing changes how the service worker works. Um, we just need to do that whenever we're making a change to um, the how we're deciding to cache, how we're deciding to expire that cache, those sorts of things. 
So if you do an ng-build-prod, you will automatically get uh, an application with Service Worker if you have it turned on in your CLI config. Uh, and then in general, that's all you need to do. So it sounds like you. this is like stupid easy to do, right? Like That's what I was just if thinking. If I'm using Angular, Angular and I'm like using the CLI, I've got one flag to flip on. Is there any reason why I might not want to do this? Sure, sure. So I, I would say that the reason you might not want to do this is depending on the level of freshness that you need from your application. So if you always need the freshest data from the server, uh, maybe service workers not adding a ton of value if you have tons of bandwidth and uh, no time to kind of think through the, the caching use cases. The other thing I would say is that in some ways you're making a commitment to the future uh, kind of a permanent commitment that uh, at least one URL has to be protected kind of in perpetuity. Because, for example, if you install a service worker and uh, the service worker is at uh, ngswworker.js, if you remove that file in the future, the Angular service worker, for example, if it 404s, it will uninstall itself. But in a lot of single page applications, we don't 404 URLs that don't exist. And so that service worker will continue to live on the, that user's computer and not uninstall itself. And so you just have to be cognizant that if someday you want to get rid of the service worker, you, you still need to block out that URL um, and uninstall service worker. Because maybe you had a user four years ago that visited your site, got the service worker installed, and now you, you want to get rid of it for them. And what about the case where I'm using Angular, I'm, I'm not using routing, and I'm building a couple Angular apps that I want to have on a single page? Right, so I got this one site, and I've got two different Angular apps that I'm running there. So I'm, I'm not—I don't care about the URL, but they're independently on one thing. I mean, a PWA really doesn't fit that. Am I doing Angular wrong at that point, or is that just a case where it's another place where I would not be doing a PWA? I, I wouldn't say you're doing Angular wrong. I think it's just a use case that we probably has a lot of rough edges around it that we haven't really worked through because uh, most people are putting a single Angular application on the page. Um, and kind of using it for orchestration. What it sounds like you're talking about is, is kind of more closer to our, our efforts around Angular Elements, where I want to have a subset of my page managed by Angular or a component that's managed by Angular, um, whereas a PWA is kind of a, a site-wide or a, an architectural-level decision um, that really does interact with the orchestration of your entire app. Um, and so if Angular is managing the orchestration of your app, use the service worker tools. Use them. They're, they're going to be awesome. Uh, if you're just trying to add a... a a single component that I, I don't think we've thought through all the use cases there. Um, we, we are working with a couple, for example, there's a few companies that are uh, shipping widget libraries. So I have a, let's say, a weather widget where it's I'm showing people the temperature and the forecast for the next couple of days. Um, when that widget is being hosted by you, then your service worker will only apply to your widget and you can have a service worker. But when someone else is hosting your widget uh, themselves, then you maybe don't want to be taking over their their context with a service worker. Cool. So, what about uh, some other notions of if we go back to the whole installed app versus a PWA? I think that this is probably one of the places where there's a lot of positive value to that. If if we think about in terms of like why would we want the PWA over an installed app? And you touched touched a little bit about that earlier. I think another one is the ease of of getting access to it and starting it up for me as a user, 
right? If I'm out and browsing around and I go to a, a business and they have an app and I want to use it, you know, if they have a PWA, I can just navigate to that URL, get up and going, right? If they just have an installable app, I got to go through the app store, install it. And then of course, all the other things from a developer standpoint of how easy is it for you as a developer to update your app and get that to users right away versus an app. Yeah, no, I, you're definitely touching on a lot of the ideas of why the this idea of a progressive web application where you, you, you've you got a, a website, but then it progressively enhances kind of as you go, because there, there's this very natural thing that happens where you start very transactional, right? I want to buy something on from company X from their website. So I'm, the first time I'm going to pull up their site, I'm going to buy something and I'm going to be done. Um, but maybe they've asked me to register. Maybe they've, they've saved my credentials in some way. And then as time goes on, I'm going to start visiting there more and more, and I'm building kind of a relationship with this company. Um, it's unclear at which point I should kind of force myself to go and download the application. But if PWAs are a little bit lighter weight, where it, it happens naturally as saying the, the second or third time I'm accessing a site and it's saying, hey, do you want to add this to your home screen? That, that ends up being a, a deepening of the relationship that doesn't feel like I have to make a choice. Yeah, and then I think uh, some of the other things that you touched on earlier, like the mm -hmm. the weight of it, what it's doing behind the scenes, right? But also the the install footprint, you know, all that stuff, the update scenario, like those things that kind of you feel a little abrasive with an app, you kind of step sure. back. And I mean, I, I would say that there's still a universe for installed applications. I mean, there there's a lot of APIs that people want to take advantage of that aren't yet available on the web. So fingerprint readers, um, sometimes it does make sense for to have a very heavy app that's accessing all your contacts and all of your the hard disk of your phone uh, in a way that the the web probably won't, uh, at least this year. Um, but I, I think, like, to me, when you build a great web application using technology like Service Worker and App Manifest, uh, it almost then becomes trivial to take that application and ship it uh, using something like Cordova or NativeScript to get access to extra APIs. So what, you know, we, we have an idea of what service workers are, how to, you know, bring those into our application. What's on the roadmap for, you know, service workers and, and Angular? Sure. Uh, I think it's it's really just all about making it easier to use um, and better matching developer expectations. So um, one of the things that, that we've seen publicly is that uh, Apple and WebKit are adding service worker support. Um, so at some point, theoretically, that should land, which is really exciting. Um, so we'll want to make sure that we're uh, having compatibility with that. Um, Edge is, I think, publicly committed to adding service worker support and things like that. Um, because we, we want this to be a web story um, based on standards, based on no matter what browser you use, you should be getting this kind of enhanced experience. Um, and then how do we just make it easier? So outside of service workers, um, I wondered if you had anything more to say on another aspect of a PWA is just making better like applications um, and maybe especially in the accessibility realm, because I think there's a longer checklist outside of like utilizing APIs um, that are important. Yeah, no, the, that, that's actually a really great point because we are building these websites and now web applications, and we, we need to think about how do we reach our audience? Because 
when when you violate accessibility guidelines, both that can, if you're working for a large company, that can have regulatory or legal implications for you. But also, I, I love the kind of marketing perspective of it, is how can we take your message and your content and your services and help them reach more people? Because in general, like there's never a case where that's bad. And so building an application, taking into account things like accessibility, internationalization, um, but as well as just understanding that people come from different contexts. So uh, these numbers are probably a couple of years old and I, I, I don't remember the, the source, but something like 70% of web traffic in the US is mobile. Uh, and if you go to somewhere like China, it's like 90% of web traffic is mobile. And so understanding that these people don't always have the best connectivity, they don't have the highest bandwidth, often people pay a lot of money for bandwidth. And so making applications that are um, able to have wider reach is hugely beneficial from a kind of a technology and a business standpoint, um, as well as, I mean, it's just good for humanity. I really like that point. I think that's a really important thing to emphasize is the thing that a lot of us as developers don't think about is that that payload process, right? And, and how that's affecting. We see it runs fast or loads on our screen. And we think a little bit about, well, I'm on high speed internet, so I make it a little bit more efficient. But really from a humanity standpoint and the thing that you're talking about, when you get to some areas that don't have that and they're paying for, if we're on mobile, we're paying for data. These people are paying for data to pull down the things that we built. You know, If we're cognizant of it, we can make an effort to make that a better experience and, and improve that. You know, And I think that's important. Yeah, that's actually what my talk about um, at NG Atlanta this year is about because I had a wake up call when I moved to the middle of nowhere and I all of a sudden like couldn't load a web page. <laughs> and it was startling because I actually started noticing who was using service workers, who was actually like paying attention to these things. And I never before, I mean, we're talking like I was used to fiber, right? Like, and it was just such a wake up call because I hear over and over again, like there are people out there who don't have the network speeds that we have. And I, it, I don't know, I just kind of fell on deaf ears. And so I'm excited about this talk because it's talking about Angular service workers, but the title is um, Service Workers and Cows, A Love Story because you know I'm out here with the cows. And so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it really is important. And I, I'm excited because I think we can get, I mean, it was especially how easy it is now. And Steven's talking about making it even easier to use. I really think we can get a lot of people on board with this, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm forced into having empathy for all those users every time I travel. And I, I travel a fair amount for conferences because airplane Wi-Fi is the worst, just the worst ever. Uh, and then you go to these, these hotels that have terrible Wi-Fi and then you go to conferences that have terrible Wi-Fi and you're like, wow. I wish every site that I used was a PWA. Um, so for example, I, I actually maintain um, a repository that is a conference website for a, a conference that I used to help out with back in Minnesota called DevFest. Um, and so I made sure that that was a PWA. And what we found was that uh, we, we had native applications and we had a PWA. Uh, the number of visitors to the PWA was greater than the number of attendees. So I think some people were watching online or, or checking out the, the event remotely. And I, I just walked around the hallway. The, the internet was completely overloaded because the, the traffic would spike. Every time a session would end, the traffic would spike up to basically every attendee checking their phone to see where they should go next. Um, but I knew that it would keep working because even if the internet went down, they could still access all that content locally. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. So we have some questions uh, from some people on the live chat. Uh, maybe I can throw these out there. We can take a look. Uh, 
Somebody asked about, can we see how to configure the SW file generated by the CLI? You kind of showed that, but is there little things you can mention about what you what you can set up in there? Sure. Here's here's five different places that that's documented and uh, examples. Thank you so much. Whoever did that, I, I owe you something. <laughs> um, so on the Angular.io website, we have a service worker config guide, which walks through uh, what does the glob format look like? How do you do different pattern matching? Uh, what are the different groups? Um, what does install mode mean? What are updates mean? So the kind of documentation here on the Angular.io guide is, is quite good. So it's uh, techniques, service worker, service worker configuration. Um, so this is a really good first starting point. Um, and then I'll point out a few other examples of where you can look at how people are using this, what uh, sorts of things they're caching. So on my blog here, uh, this is a relatively simple config that I maintain. So I'm just caching all the kind of static, uh, normal things that are coming as part of my application. I'm also caching a couple of the fonts that I use. Uh, and then I've got this uh, data coming back from Firebase that any images that are coming back from Firebase, I want to lazy cache those as well. Uh, here's another example from uh, Minko Gechev, where he's got some configuration. He's got a data group for API freshness for his slash timeline URL. He's got um, performance for slash favorites, where he's doing different types of uh, strategies there. I'll also point out uh, Maxime Salnikov, who's done a ton of awesome talks about PWAs. You should check some of uh, his talks out. But he's got, again, some of the things you're going to see a lot. So he's got material icons, another font there, and then he's got some of his content cached. Uh, and the last one I'll point out is from Austin McDaniel. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, and he's just got a bunch of static assets configured in his. So taking a look around the web and understanding and seeing kind of how other people are doing in uh, service worker config, I think helps, at least helps me as a developer know what to do and how to do it. And then does the Angular.io site have documentation on doing push notifications as well? Because that was another question that we got asked about example of doing the push notification. Uh, I think it does. Let's let's check here. Um, so push notifications are basically you can inject the uh, SW push service. And then what will uh, it will allow you to do is it has a bunch of methods as part of SW push that then you can call to register or you can call to um, uh, will actually give you an observable of all the messages coming in. So let's check here, push notification. Uh, it is not in the guide, but I'm sure if I search for SW push here, we're going to find the API for it. So here's the SW push class. So you can inject that just as you would normally. And then what you can do is you can get an observable of the messages. You can check out the uh, subscription status, or you can request a subscription, which registers that client with the, the server backend and gives you the keys that you need to propagate to the server in order to send that notification. Oops. Cool. And then that's the Angular bits, right? And then the actual sending notifications is just kind of uh, PO, service worker stuff. It's not yep. Angular specific. Standard, standard push notification stuff. So um, there's command line tools that you can install that will mock that out. Um, there's also a set of dev tools where you can mock out push notifications just right in dev tools. So if you ed, uh, enter the dev tools and go into uh, service worker, and this was actually, I think, dramatically improved in Chrome 63. Uh, but if you go into the application tab, uh, what you'll see is that for any of the service workers that are installed, uh, there's a, a line right there where you can trigger some of the, the lifecycle events, uh, including a push notification. Uh, and one note I'll, I'll mention as you're getting into that, 
the Angular service worker expects the payload of a push notification to be JSON. So if you get a can't parse error, that's that's what's going on. Cool. Yeah, there's a, it seems like there's a lot of tooling and stuff now in the ecosystem for us as developers to, you know, not only build these PWAs, but also effectively build them, right? Debugging and all these different tools. Right? Yeah, just... and I mean, and it's kind of interesting because the service worker tooling is getting really good. And the, the kind of ongoing question for, for all the, the teams and all the frameworks and all the developers are, uh, when should we adopt push notification or when should we adopt service worker? And then should the frameworks be adding them by default? So the Angular team has chosen not to yet uh, turn on service worker by default just because of some of the subtle ways that it breaks developer expectations until people kind of understand and see the power and how they work. For example, this commitment to maintaining a URL forever, uh, that's something that's maybe not clear when you first get started. But we, we need all those things to be 100% clear and easy to understand and easy to make decisions about and reason about um, before we want to opt everyone into these sorts of things. What do you guys think? Should we should we turn it on by default for everyone? I don't think so. In my opinion, I I don't think you should. Uh, just because of the things that you mentioned, then also there might I don't know there might be cases where I don't want it to be a PWA, right? But again, I guess it it's the same. I don't know. It's it's one or the other. I mean, if you turn it on by default, I can have a flag to turn it off. It's how and how often am I creating new stuff? I don't know. That's I feel like thing. not yet. I feel like maybe one day, but. I think people just need to get used to it a little bit more. Yeah, I, mean, but yeah, like, I agree. I, there's some like, after working with service workers, there's some like oddness of things that you don't really expect like, until they became like mainstream and people know are, are conscious of these things. Uh, I, I think it might cause a lot of like, what? <laughs> A lot of that. That's what it's going to cause. Also. So, so, I'll, I'll give a, a counterpoint. That, that, I mean, I think all of that, that is 100% valid. The, the counterpoint is by not opting people into these by default, they, a lot of developers don't take advantage of it. A lot of developers just leave everything default. And so one of the things that we think about a lot uh, as part of the Angular team is how do we be good stewards that teach developers the right things at the right time and, and kind of opt them into best practices. I, I've heard from a ton of different developers that learning Angular made them a better web developer because of how heavily we lean into things like TypeScript and the modern web, lazy loading, et cetera. And so the more we can give you these things well-configured, well-reasonable, uh, in your control, out of the box, the more developers that are going to automatically ship these things and build better experiences for users. because. When we talk about the value system as the Angular team, we talk about kind of three things. Apps that users love to use, apps that developers love to build, and a community where everyone feels welcome. And the first group of that is users. And so if there's something the Angular team can do that makes the applications we're shipping better for users, that, that has a lot of positives and that has a lot of impact across the world. I remember a long time ago, somebody had asked, uh, about support for a, an older web browser that I won't mention. And uh, and Brad said, no, we don't support it. Like we're cutting edge and we don't apologize for that. And I just loved that. I was like, that's so cool because we're, you know, like if you wanna do this, you gotta keep up with us and, and stay modern. And I think that's it. It's, I, mean, I mean, it's hard, but it's it's really good. So, and yeah, I mean, Angular does not support curl. 
unless you use universal, and then it supports curl just fine. So I have a question about the, uh, you mentioned briefly about the ability to say, I have a PWA and I could, in some ways, like Cordova and stuff like that, potentially move that over to, you know, a, a native app pretty easily. I mean, are you referring to like, if I wrote a PWA, it could stay in its PWA form, but then run within something like that? Yeah. So, I mean, all of the, the concepts that you're going to use to build a great PWA, so like uh, thinking about offline use cases, thinking about when the data is not there, thinking about... Um, how do we store the user actions and try and do something meaningful with them uh, and then propagate that back to the server when it makes sense. All of these concepts transfer one-to-one -one with a installed application using Cordova or NativeScript, which I, I really like because then I, I just think about architecting the application one way. I think about the offline use case. I consider all these, these kind of different uh, contexts that users have, and then I build that into my application, and then I can ship it kind of in both places because... A lot of people want an installed app in the stores, but you almost always also have to ship a website. And so why not build an experience that works great for both of these use cases? What I really like about that is that you start there, right? And then you can get to the other. You're not blocked from getting the other if you start with the PWA approach. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I like the fact that the benefits that you get from creating a PWA is not just mobile you get benefits even if none of your users are going to be mobile, whether or not everybody's sitting in an office and using a desktop computer or a laptop, they still get the benefits, the performance benefits of thinking and writing an application in a better way. Yeah, I mean, and that's something we've, we've thought a lot about, uh, especially with kind of the V5 release, um, as well as on our site, angular.io, where we're trying to make the experience not just better for mobile, but how do we make the experience better for desktop as well? How do we make intelligent caching decisions to say, hey, you're using a desktop, how do we deliver the best experience for you? How do we still save you bandwidth, still save you uh, seconds of time for, for loading or for, for fetching data or whatever? Because desktop matters too. All right, well, we're getting to the top of the hour. Any other topics anybody want to cover? Uh, any other questions anybody wants to ask about PWAs before we hit the end? I'll, I'll mention one more thing that the IO site is kind of trying to figure out uh, on behalf of developers, which I think is a really cool concept where we, we have this update problem with service workers where you want to get the freshest content, but you want to serve it before the network request goes out at all. And so one of the things that will happen in when you're visiting Angular.io is that if your service worker is out of date, when you do a navigation request, like so when you click on a link somewhere in the application, we will check and see if it's out of date. And if it's out of date, we will do a hard, like a screen flip hard refresh of the of the window instead of doing a in-application refresh uh, or router context switch, which will kind of force the install so that you're, ne you're never more than one click away from being on the latest and greatest. So even if the user isn't, isn't aware that they need to refresh or that their content's out of date, if they're navigating the site, they're going to have all the latest content. I, I think that's a really cool strategy. Uh, you can take a look at it in the URIO repo, but uh, as always, we're looking for ways to kind of package that for other developers to take advantage of. So you're saying everyone needs to visit the AngularIO site at least like once a week? Wouldn't be a bad idea. We've got all sorts of news and tips and helpful Wait, information there. You're saying you don't live there, Bonnie? What are, what are you saying? No, I do. I do. <laughs> 
I think it's another thing that's pretty awesome about, you know, the, where we're at with PWAs and, and of course our experience and, and love for developing for the web is that there's these opportunities with PWAs to, to architect some new things to solve these problems. Like you talked about, like, how do I get a new version of my PWA delivered, right? There's not a story for that. You guys have started that process. The AIO started that. So there's going to be areas like this for some innovations to come about. Oh, yeah. And, and one, one more area of innovation is regarding accelerated mobile pages or AMP, where... In general, with AMP, you can't run any JavaScript. And you're like, OK, well, what, how do we build uh, an application with Angular? How do we ship these really rich client-side experiences? So the one exception to that when it comes to an AMP page is you can ship a service worker. You can install and register a service worker. So this user gets this flat kind of non-interactive experience on their first uh, for their first experience. And then the moment they click, you can have that being responded to by the service worker with the rich, fully interactive, progressive web application. And so there's this kind of nice combination between PWAs and AMPs that uh, I think we're going to continue to explore and continue to uh, invest in. And if I can just say about AMP, because when I first learned about AMP, I, again, it was like one more thing I got to learn. And I set aside some time because I thought the benefits of, of AMP, I didn't really know a whole lot about it. But I thought the benefits were really cool and it sounded interesting. So I set aside time where I'm like, I'm going to learn this new cool thing. And it, it really, I had so much time left over because it was another thing that was way easier than I thought. It was like, basically, you just configure it and then you just keep doing what you were doing before. So the learning curve on some, some of this stuff, like if you've never heard of it, don't be intimidated. It's really super easy. Super, super easy. Yeah. I mean, and the, the, all of these concepts, we're, we're trying to break them down, make them simpler and simpler. And then also at the appropriate point when it, it's simple enough just to automate it for people. Because I, I would love to see every Angular application out there shipping with a service worker, uh, server-side rendering, giving people amps. Like, There's so many best practices that can continue to evolve. Uh, for example, a, a couple more exciting ones that I, I, I've mentioned a lot, probably mentioned before, things like WebAssembly. If Angular could at some point in the future automatically take advantage of WebAssembly without developers having to do anything, that would be really cool. Or if at some point it makes sense to stop shipping ES5 and start shipping ES2015 or lighter weight, kind of more modern JavaScript, which isn't really well supported across crawlers and browsers right now, I, I think... Angular should be the ones leading and helping developers make those sorts of decisions uh, and automating as much of it as possible. It's like the CLI. Like sometimes I feel bad because it made my job so easy. <laughs> I'm like they're still paying me for. Awesome to hear. All right. Well, let's get to picks and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, let's go down picks. Who's got picks? So, Alyssa, do you have any picks today? Yeah, well, I had two, but you already did one because ng-conf, it's coming up. Although I guess I could note that um, a week from now, the 15th is, well, like less than a week from now, is the CFP closing. So if you want to submit to talk, don't forget to do that this week. Um, and then Angie Atlanta is also coming up. Um, so I'd love to see you all at either one. Nice. All right, Bonnie. Alyssa stole one of my picks. So, okay, if you're scared to submit a talk for ng-conf, just do it. Just do it. You have like what? Six days left. Do it. Submit a That's talk. That's what I was thinking about. It's for okay. Like service workers, Bonnie. I was like, we should just like make that Angular's new slogan. Just do it, right? Like service workers, just, just do, do it. it. Like I don't. I think there might be a copyright on that slogan, but you know. Yeah. Ah. Uh, one more. And one more pick. I have. Uh, I, I, I'm. I don't know why I'm so excited about this, but uh, 
Narwhal just announced that they hired Thomas Burleson and Thomas Burleson is amazing. And uh, so Narwhal is, is in the process of taking over the world because they're scooping up all the coolest people in the Angular community. So uh, I think we should have seen that coming because Thomas is definitely one of the coolest people in the Angular community. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, so yeah, those are my picks. All right, Austin. I have one non-tech pick and one tech one. Um, so I got my wife got me an Xbox One X and Assassin's Creed Origins. It's a beautiful game I've ever played. It is so beautiful. That's my uh, that's my pick there. My other pick is NGRX Actions which is our library to reduce boilerplate. Hey, for your Xbox, do you have a TV that supports HDR? Yes, I do. I, I actually went and got TV just so I could play Xbox games. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, I like that. <laughs> All right, Mike, you got any picks? Uh, one, I saw a post this last week. I'll get into the show notes. Uh, there is a release candidate uh, for the Angular template in Visual Studio that is apparently going to be using the Angular CLI, uh, or at least be compatible with. That's what I've uh, seen, or at least read through in the uh, highlights of the article. So I'll include that in show notes. Cool. Oh, I wanted to ask, we're going to get all your links, Stephen, right? Like all those links that you were showing, with, like the peoples and their... Sure config files and stuff yeah sure <laughs> and i didn't know you had a blog steven uh oh i just clicked on it it's actually really cool yes i have a blog i i post some really great content and some really mediocre content do you do you have a write up about your google glass experience on there uh no that was so i that was on my old blog i i don't have one on my new so i, I used to wear google glass for 3 years uh, before I joined Google, and I, I was Wait, a big fan. Like straight, like you didn't take it off. What, like you, you take it off when you sleep. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, do you have tags on your website so we can click like which blogs are mediocre and which ones are good? It's a good Those idea. Like sorted for us. You should send me a PR for that. <laughs> nice. All right, well, Stephen, do you have any picks? Yeah. So my pick is the Angular Developer Survey 2018. Uh, you can get there bit.ly/angular-survey2018. It's really, really easy. It's like five questions. So take that survey. It's Although I think there's a longer version if one opts in. <laughs> yes, so, so we, we've done it in two parts. So there's the quick, easy survey, and then uh, just about kind of Angular overall. Uh, and then once you complete that, there's a link to a, a longer survey that gets into kind of all the sub-projects that uh, the Angular team is working on. And really just want to hear from the community what are your experiences? What are your needs? How can we do better in 2018 and beyond? You know what I love awesome. about you guys? That you accept the uh, feedback, good and bad. I meet up. I'm like, if you guys love the show, give us feedback. If you don't, don't, right? But you guys are, are so open to uh, everything. Yeah, I mean, like, the industry overall, there's so much innovation happening. There's so much we can all learn from each other. And so we, we try and be as open as possible to, to kind of everything that comes our way. Well, like Bonnie said, we definitely appreciate that. All right, Steven, thanks again for coming on, sharing your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, until next time, which I'm sure there'll be one, hopefully soon.
Uh, all right. Take it easy, everybody. We will see you next week.